0: Hello, welcome to episode 29 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 22nd of January, 2018. I'm Joe, and with me are Jesse. Hello, Joe. And Phelan. Hello, Joe. Hello, Jesse. Hello, Phelan. Uh, and no Ike. Despite the fact that he was due to be here, he is a wall, and we don't know where he is. So hopefully he's got no internet or he's asleep or something. Who knows? But you will hear from him later in an interview that we recorded previously. So we we'll just have to see about that. So we're gonna do some news first, but before that, I just wanna do a quick moment of silence for Linus. Not the Linus you know, my Linus. So a quick moment of silence for him. He will be missed. Right, let's cheer it up with a bit of news then. So some uh KDE bollocks. They don't care about X eleven anymore, it's all about Wayland now. Pretty much. That parrot is no more. Um, which is
1: rather fitting, unfortunately, I realise now as it comes out my mouth. But uh, (laughs) yeah, they are no longer adding any features to X11. It is feature frozen. It might get a few features, but not from the KWIN side. Um, They realise that even though they added features to KWIN to tie in with X11, etc., How these things tie in, I'm secretly sure. They're very well put together, but I don't know how these things work. But I'm sure IQ could tell us all about them. But if it's not SSH, I don't really know. But uh, they realized that there was too many bugs getting pulled up every time they tried to add a feature. And it just really wasn't worth it anymore. And I think they just want to be done with the damn thing and uh, let Waylink sort of come through. Um, Which is unfortunate if you have an NVIDIA card, because... That doesn't really work there, but uh, bye-bye X11 soon. It's not going to happen any day like in the next few weeks, so it's not like there's a a big panic, but uh, it's going to happen. And the LTS release is the next one, which is 5.12, and I think that 5.13 probably will have still some X11 features, but after that, it's really not going to get any more done to it.
0: Which I think is reasonable. Really, it's sort of a reasonable yeah. timeline. You're going to have enough support going forward with X11, and it's going to have maintenance and bug fixes and stuff. But now is surely the time to be thinking about Wayland, and you can't just keep on X forever, can you? We need to move forward. Yeah, and and they were saying like the the reason that it's so
1: horrible is that there's no way to test anything on X11. They just you don't have the features there to the testing and. They're able to do things called mock, which Ike was telling me about, where you can literally have the system test input from mouse or finger input and stuff like that, and actually replicate USB devices through a whole big database of features. He's been testing his latest stuff through it. And I mean, that's fantastic because then, you know, you just sit there, you're not going to sit there and actually finger poke the bloody thing and uh, check where things go all the time. You're going to script the heck out of stuff and You know that's the way to do it, and you know they can actually test stuff, know it works in Wayland, and then they bring it along to X11, and they have no idea. And then the people report bugs on it and say this thing doesn't work. It's like oh great, so yet more actual physical problems that we have to go out and do. So yeah, it needs to die. This
2: is a little bit of odd timing because you say you know you can't hang on to X forever, but you can if Wayland hasn't. Like come out and is the default now, and it even says, "Does it mean Plasma Five One Three will default to Wayland?" And he said, "This has nothing to do with that. This is unrelated." And so it seems like he wants a bit of a holiday, and uh, he's going to not do anything with this and wait till Wayland's fully, you know, feature ready and then able to be used, and then uh, I guess move on to that.
1: Yeah, but you have to see that they're fairly resource limited to the amount developers to have, and these guys, you know, you don't have the likes of Canonical with you know a large number of developers getting paid for this type of work. So every bit that they're spending on X11 is time that they could be spending on actually the thing that they really want to get to. And we really have to get to because X11 has been dead for a very long time. I mean, X11 developers might go, uh, no, we're still working on it. But, you know, realistically speaking, it's very, very old technology. And, you know, while it's been extended and extended along the way, it's very old hat. And, you know, it lets us down, I think, a little bit in the fact that, there's so many newer areas of you know kernel space, whatever that we've been working on, doing really well, and yet are you know the first thing that gets chucked out when they do things for Android and that is X, you know.
0: Uh, so I think it needs to go. Yeah, I think at this point the phrase is throwing good money after bad, isn't it? If if you're going to spend time developing features for X, then you're just wasting your time because the world is moving on. It hasn't quite 100% moved on yet, but fedora and ubuntu are both defaulting to wayland at this point and you've just got to get with the times really i mean it's not not like it's gone gone either i mean
1: it's still there it's just they're not doing new stuff which is fine because they said every new feature delays them because there's new bugs so
2: yeah the argument that they have a finite amount of resources and if he's putting effort into this that could be being put into making wayland the default then that's obviously a better place for his efforts to go yes that's fair But I mean, I did say uh, on the last show or two before, I think, uh, that I find it difficult to find Gnome news. And fortunately, this time, there has been some epically massive Gnome news. Thank God for that. Yeah, because it was just all KDE. And what you'll find is that in the um, pictures app, the photos app that comes with Gnome, they have added uh, a shadow bar and a highlights bar cropping and vertical and portrait cropping and i mean if that isn't big news (laughs) i just don't know what is
0: well i've just looked at this for the first time on a proper computer and i think it's called umang jane or umang jane uh the fellow who's talking about this uh he needs to specify background color for his blog it's coming (laughs) up gray more more on that later folks but uh Yeah, so someone said you should look at Planet Gnome if you want exciting Gnome news all the time. Have you done that, Jesse?
2: I've only... Well, no is the short answer, but I will see what we can get, and Gnome Corner will be better next fortnight.
1: Well, I'm going to make KD Corner even better. (laughs) Might be KD Tetrahedron. (laughs) Ah,
0: well. Um, All right, well, let's give Purism a bit more airtime, as if they need it. So the Librem 5 phone uh, is underway, the development for it. And well, there's been a bit of news on that front. And it looks like a new person. Uh, Nicole Farbera, uh is the mobile development lead. And she has done quite a long blog post about what is happening there. And it is looking like they are going to go with the better system on a chip, the i.mx8 which they'd hoped to go with, so that is now looking more like it's going to happen, which is good news. And also what stood out to me is that they're talking about a 5.5-inch screen rather than just a 5-inch screen. Poor old (laughs) Stuart. Well, yeah, Stuart's not going to be happy, but the rest of the world will. And uh, they've hired a lot of people, and there's not masses to report, is there? But it's good that they are keeping up the communication, they're keeping up the hype and keeping in the news, keeping people like us talking about them. Because I've been very skeptical about it. I don't think that they got enough money to do what they want to do and produce something that's good. But I really hope that I'm wrong. I really want this to be amazing and lead the way in uh, having a completely free phone that's not um, using old bloody Android drivers and blobs left, right, and center. Yeah, I'm reminded that I have to
1: do a firmware flash on my phone and update it. And every time I do that, I just hate having to touch it because it's it's like is the thing going to come back from this you know do i trust the firmware blob you know i do i have to go like force myself to compare the manufacturer's driver to the blob that i'm getting from some other random horrific website that is xda developed that stupid fucking forum forums need to die it's just like fucking want a proper phone that you can apt get update on or the set the like whatever it is phone update whatever it is just open source software
0: on a phone yeah yum or eo package or whatever as long as it's
1: i don't care i just yeah something open something easy you know god so
2: uh (laughs) all right (laughs) just leaving him to calm down a bit too many updates this month So they, uh, they, they say in the, in the blog, they had sort of a hundred or so people, um, apply to, to help them with the development. And they've, I think, given jobs to about 15 or so plus the community. They're now going to look at how they can get them to help out and things. And they also do go on to talk, uh, you know, about the process, like say and, and building a, like a sort of, um, a testing, uh, version of, of it. So they can, they can go through their testing and, and see what they can get. But they do also touch on the uh, the support they've got from other software. So, for example, Nextcloud and GNOME and KDE and things. And it sort of occurred to me, I should really... I've decided on a new uh, prediction for this, is that either GNOME or KDE are going to leave that project because I can't see how they can both be involved... Given the different toolkits, the different GUIs, the different, you know, fundamental way of making your desktop environment, and now let's assume a phone environment, I just can't see how you can use both of those camps to to come together to make one uh, UI or UX. Open source phone fight. Two funkets enter,
1: one funket leaves.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it feels like. Well, when I spoke to Jonathan Riddle about it early on, he said that it reminded him of the 90s with the oh. Gnome versus KDE wars. And like he said, bring it on. But he was only joking about that. I think that you can have both toolkits side by side. I know that, failing you just won't have any GTK stuff at all on your system. But there's pretty much nothing stopping you having both and having the choice of either, it does seem like a Ugh. bit of a wasted effort, maybe. A <laughs> <I> spit. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But I think you might be right, Jesse, that they're going to have to pick one at some point and work far more closely with them. But they did say from the beginning that you'll be able to run other distros on it, and they will facilitate you doing that. Whether you're going to have a, a usable UI on a 5.5-inch screen is a different matter, of course. You need something that is catered for it. And it seems that... Well, I don't know if you look at Gnome on a touchscreen, it's really good. But then if you look at plasma mobile, that's also really good. And so I can see why they're split on it really, because it's not just about the, the, the UI of the actual operating system. You've got to consider the applications as well. And Gnome has got a lot more applications that are touch friendly. I
2: think, I don't know. Uh, when when you say GNOME on a touchscreen, you mean GNOME on a normal-sized desktop monitor that is a touchscreen. So that it's the touchscreen capabilities that are better than GNOME, whereas you're saying that KD have a, a phone screen size OS that looks better.
1: And just remember, KD can adjust with QML. You can quickly change QML, and a lot of the background stuff is all service-based and interrelated. You know, you can give... The Akinade stuff are kicking as much as you want, but it does allow an awful lot of apps to share stuff through a API
0: type system already. So, mm. well, I was specifically talking about a seven-inch tablet that I've had Gnome running on. I've been threatening to talk about it for ages. It was a Windows oh, eight tablet, yes. um, and the thing is, it's not powerful enough to run Gnome. It's Gnome is too bloated uh, to, to run it smoothly. I mean, <laughs> bodes well for phone then. Well, yeah. But it's not optimized for it. But if you optimized it, the, the, the experience that you have when it's working is pretty good. The, the keyboard comes up when it needs to, and it just generally feels quite touch-friendly, I would say. But then Plasma Mobile is also extremely touch-friendly because it was built to be touch-friendly in the first place. So I think my instincts are that they're going to end up with the Plasma Mobile um, UI on it. But Well, that's if they even manage to deliver it because it's a tall order. And employing that many people, what what do you say, Jesse? 14 people or something. That is going to burn money very, very quickly. Yeah. Oh, I really hope it happens. Really do. Mm. So do I, especially after OnePlus shit in the bed again with their uh, leaking credit card details and stuff. Oh, you're joking. I didn't hear that, actually. You didn't hear it, yeah. (laughs) Like, uh, since mid-November to, like a week or so ago. I'm oh, glad, glad I bought my phone last February. So, Well, someone had managed to inject JavaScript, I think, to, that managed to basically keylog people <laughs> and collect their credit card information. So that does not look good for them at all. Enjoying that OnePlus 5, everybody? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. So I don't know about that. Um, they say check your bank statements. But yeah, after that, what other hackable phones that, Uh, affordable are they really none i don't think because like you've got the pixel which is relatively hackable i think and i'm happy enough with lineage and even if it has to have non-free drivers, well so be it but it would be good if this purism phone works out and is actually not shit if you could run lineage on it with no blobs then I'd be all over that. I'm sure you would be as well, Faye Aye, totally. Sure, let's just face it. We're going to have to start
1: getting a, a keyboard and attach it to a Raspberry Pi and walk around with that at some point.
0: Well, you can make that. There I are know you can, them. but
1: just, it's just really admitting defeat at that point. <laughs> yeah. Mind you, if you get it in one of those really old Nokia phones from like the early
0: 80s, you might be onto some like retro chic there. Yeah. Uh, well, they came back, didn't they? The 3310 from the 90s, even though it just wasn't. It was a rebadged other phone. But anyway, let's not get off into the weeds too far. Um, one of the bits of software you mentioned there, Jesse, was Nextcloud, and... They have launched Nextcloud Talk, which is definitely not just a rebadging of Spreed or anything.
1: And you love (laughs) it.
0: Well, from what I've tested it, on the desktop it works all right. The mobile apps just didn't work at all, just black screen. And it is a beta, though. Yeah. So, yeah, you can only run it on uh, Nextcloud 13, which hasn't been officially released yet. That's still in beta. So it's got some problems to iron out. But it's pretty cool. I I installed it um, via a snap. Uh, just over a week ago, and it worked fine. But then I tried it again because I accidentally nuked that partition that the server was on, trying to install triskel which didn't work. But anyway, that's uh, irrelevant. What is relevant is that it just wouldn't—I couldn't get the Talk plugin installed, so I couldn't test it, even though I'd had updates to the mobile apps. So maybe those mobile apps work now. I don't know, but. I suppose practicality's side of whether it works yet, it is a very good idea. This idea that you can run your own server and talk to each other end-to-end encrypted and know that you're in full control of it. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, especially with the likes of Skype
1: continually me- messing up which version of the plugin you should have installed. And, you know, just the general pain in the arse is to get a conference call software set up if you are got any form of Linux on the go. It's just annoying, especially if the person goes, oh, we use the for business version, and you're like, oh, great, okay, that's me not doing that then.
0: I tested it in Firefox, and it worked absolutely perfectly. Sweet. All you need to do is just give it access to the mic and uh, camera, and then it just works fine. So that, to me, seems a feasible solution for talking to people who aren't that technical. If you just say, go here, and you've created them a login or whatever, and then they log in, and then you just start talking to them. So it could potentially replace Skype and stuff.
2: And that's using WebRTC, is it? It is, yeah.
0: Yeah, very impressed when it works, and they just need to make it work all the time. That's sort of the story with Nextcloud generally for me, is that when it works, it's good, but then when it doesn't, it's shit. (laughs) So (laughs) So much bitterness. (laughs) Well, I just, you know, when we've tested it, many times. That's always been the case that it's got so much promise but then the fine details is where it sort of falls down and um, I just wish that instead of cramming all these new features in all the time, they'd actually just make the core aspect of it work properly. Now, I know that you, Phelan, say it does work fine and all the rest of it but that's well, just not been my experience, unfortunately. We'll
1: get you eventually.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll stop using Drive and Docs one day. When they make <laughs> a properly good collaborative editor that we can all use to do the show notes then i'll seriously think about installing it on a droplet or something you and need to use a collabora based one you know, it's just not as good as drive though is it oh for fuck's sake
1: <laughs> you'll never get anywhere if you don't try
0: <laughs> you'll never get anywhere if you don't try google apps <laughs> oh god i think i'll live without them it's fine thanks <laughs> come to the dark side flash never. open g apps pico you'll never look back never all right, so I teased some shit web design. And once again, uh, this is a website that didn't specify a background color, so it looks great, and it is skyfallattack.com. And this was a hoax, essentially, which a lot of people, including me, fell for before it was updated, and it was teasing another um, vulnerability that's like Meltdown Inspector. But it turns out that it's just some twat being a twat. It's
1: a pretty good summation, all right? Um okay, you don't like vulnerabilities getting their own fancy name, whatever. But to sort of brush this one aside as being, you know, oh, another, what was that, Heartbleed one or whatever, I mean, that was critical, that was really serious. To sort of pretend that the one that we've just gone through wasn't serious, is, it's, God, yeah. Like, a lot of people moved a lot of mountains to do an awful lot of security updates and the the guy has credentials so I mean I don't know where he's coming from this obviously he's a bit fed up with this but I mean to say that this wasn't really a serious issue is ridiculous because you know he's making the point that unless you were running a virtual server farm this wasn't a problem for you no well unless you ran on a virtual server farm yeah it was most definitely a problem for you and if you're trying to make it a point that a lot of stuff isn't run on VMs, then I don't know what you're doing in IT, because an awful lot of stuff runs on bloody VMs. So, you know, anything that requires a patch needs to be done immediately. And a lot of people put in serious amounts of work, uh, myself included. I, I have a backlog of projects now that have been all blown to bits because I've had to panic patch a load of stuff for the last week or so. and. um you know, we could just do it out this type of nonsense. You know, everybody's thrown up holidays. They've worked their arses off. I know it's difficult enough without this type of pettiness.
2: But the point he's trying to make, I think, is that if it hadn't had a catchy name and a little logo, you know, the pair of them, then there wouldn't have been such a take up of the news story. And it wouldn't have been so widely discussed in the press. And I agree that you can't have security vulnerability, CVE, one, two, seven, seven, four, three, you know, the press just aren't going to run with it. And the news stories are going to say the latest major vulnerability, and they need a word to be able to point a finger at it and say about, talk about it on the news so that people hear about it.
1: Yeah, but that that's true, but you know what, I'd rather them point the finger now at before it happens and call it whatever they want to call it. They can call it, you know, the rusty ring piece or whatever they want to call it now rather than afterwards where they're calling it the target catastrophe where, you know, everybody's credit card has been stolen. I'd rather they have it beforehand. They can you know, hand out what the Yanks call it, plush toys or stuffed teddy bears. They can make T-shirts. They can do whatever the hell they want. As long as they patch the damn things, that's fine by me. If someone comes up to me on the street and says, how do I fix my PC for this vulnerability? I'd rather do that than they just blithely went along and end up with their PC getting owned.
2: But you also hear things where this vulnerability, while serious given what level of control it can give a perpetrator is unlikely to happen. Whereas there are other vulnerabilities out there which are much more likely to happen, you know, threats to web servers and things like this, where the patches are like, are there people working their asses off over the holidays to sort it out? Are there people like you who's being asked by their employer to update the machines or however it works? You know, like to, to have it as blown out of proportion or in proportion as this was, is it an unfair amount of information, an unfair amount of airtime given to these two because they look sexy and what have you, and they affect everything out there? Whereas actually, there are other vulnerabilities that are more likely to be exploited and therefore arguably more serious, and aren't getting that sort of airtime and that sort of effort.
1: Yeah, but this is pretty serious because it could have been, and probably was. To be honest, I think it's naive to think that. You know what was it was it three separate teams four separate teams that found this and they were like two to three people teams that discover this and you're telling me that like very very advanced teams of nation states aren't actively exploiting things like this if they can put a usb stick to un internet connected centrifuges in iran i'm pretty sure they can exploit something slow like this uh, this is a beautiful attack because you can't tell that you've been attacked and this thing sits there and read uh, you know you, you can just you have this slowly tick away in the background you can steal as much as stuff nice and slowly i mean that's how agencies like that love these things to work because they work slow they work invisible brilliant you've siphoned out all the info that you want so you know we don't know if it's been used I think there's a fair chance that it has been used, and it's in the processor, so it's not like software where you can go, ah, you know what, there's a flash vulnerability, go to any of these pages run this flash, and you're vulnerable and you're hacked, but you know what, you patch your flash, boom, it's fixed. This is a processor, you can't fix this unless you firmware patch it, you bias update fix, you patch the software, you rebuild your compiler you rebuild all your libraries you've so many avenues that you have to fix and you have to do them almost all at the same time and you have to get it done across the board across all the different fleets of software that's out there otherwise it's going to get redone and reattacked against you that they now have to for instance they've got a broken firmware that was rushed so fast they have to reapply that so they're reapplying the old firmware under a new name to like back step out of that firmware because they rushed it too quickly. So, you know, this is not an easy problem and the hardware is not going to be updated for probably years. So we're not going to have an actual proper fix.
2: So I'm not denying that it's not a big problem and it's not a major problem. I agree with what you're saying about being a major problem, that's fair. But the point about this hoax site, I think is more to do with the, the branding and the labeling. And so you're not allowed to say, I'm not going to answer, I don't give a shit. But would you rather this had a name and a logo or a CVE associated with it?
1: Well, at least both. But I get paid to care about CVs. But my parents don't give a shite. (laughs) But they might give a shite if it shows up on the Irish news. And, you know, it might show up in the tech news if it was a CVE. But I'll tell you what, it won't show up on RTE news is if it's a fucking CVE number but this did. So they they knew about it. And they. I said, I'm off to uh, do some work. And they went, oh, is that for that thing? It was like, well, yes, it is actually. Is our computer affected? Yes, most definitely. You know, that's good. It's, you know, you have to wake people up to the fact that computers are bloody everywhere. And, you know, people seem to think that, You know, these things look after themselves and it's all very managed, but it's not really that managed. So it's important to actually follow through on updating these things. And if you have to wake people up to these things, then you should. I mean, you have ads for telling people to put seatbelts on. You would think that that was an important thing that people would do anyway, but yet we still advertise seatbelts.
0: Well, um, speaking of waking up, some breaking news. Ike has woken up, but he's feeling really terrible, so that's why he's not on this episode. But he will be on this episode in a bit, thanks to the miracle of editing and (laughs) Um, pre-recording. So right, that's enough news then. So onto a bit of admin. Um, Thank you, everyone, for supporting us with PayPal and Patreon. It is very much appreciated. And if you want to join them, uh, go to latenightlinux.com slash support and uh, help me get towards my dream of not having to go to work anymore. That would be pretty awesome. And uh, if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Uh, so Jesse, you went to New York and gave away a Raspberry Pi, did you?
2: Uh, I went to New York, uh, met uh, Alejandro, and we, we had a pint and a chit-chat and, you know, just sort of what we like about podcasts, Linux and things. It was uh, yeah, it was really, really nice to meet him. L- lovely guy. Cool. So you've still got another one. This is a first generation Raspberry Pi, isn't it? Or, well, well, I mean, I'm... I'm oh, you want <laughs> to hang on to it now? <laughs> no, uh, I feel Alejandro's in on the joke, but uh, the... The pie never, never quite left England. Actually, uh, yeah. As I was uh, flying over the Atlantic, I had a sudden realization of the thing that I'd forgotten. A little bit like uh, that kid who got left home alone. I was going and, to say,
0: yeah. My family's in Florida, and I'm in New York. My Raspberry yeah. Pies in London,
2: and I'm in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and i was like oh for fuck's sake so uh yeah I, I apologized to him before we met but he said he still wanted to meet up for a pint and you know he took it he took it very well and he just wanted to sort of say hello so unfortunately the uh international giveaway was a bit of a flop all my fault and uh i, so I still have two to give away should anyone want them if not i'll uh find some way of giving them away there's there's a raspberry pi meetup at uh, in london every month so i'll maybe go there and see if anyone needs one yeah.
0: All right. Well, if someone in London wants one, and you'll probably be going back to New York at some point, won't you? Yep.
2: Yeah, yeah. Definitely this year, sometime.
0: Yeah. So well, we'll have to see about that. Oh well, that was a bit of a fucking flop. Nice one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so killing Og. Is it dead yet? No, Og is not dead yet. And I was kind of just testing the water with that because I was thinking about various hosting solutions, and I, I, I do want to get rid of it. The, the funny thing is, like you talk about getting rid of Og because you want to slim it down and simplify it and just have MP3. And then loads of people come out of the woodwork saying, use Speaks or use fucking this, that, and the other. No, that's not the point. We don't want something better. We want something (laughs) standard. MP3 might be shit, but give me a device in the world that can't play an MP3. But I thought MP3's patent was out now,
1: so that meant it's dead, right?
0: Well, yeah, so we're moving to AAC or whatever only. Aye. (laughs) <laughs> you can only play it on an iphone um i don't know i think og will be around for a bit but i have not heard a compelling argument for keeping og apart from it's technically superior but by the time i've processed the shit out of everyone's audio like i don't think you're going to tell the difference between uh 96k mp3 and a flak quite frankly so i don't know Uh whatever we'll have to see what happens with that um So Ben Hooper got in touch and suggested Brave Payments, which I just blindly signed up to. I don't even know what it's about. I was sort of doing other things while I did it. I think if you use the Brave browser, you can somehow give us money. That's some bullshit cryptocurrency type thing that you can maybe cash out. I don't know. Maybe it'll make us millions. Maybe. I don't know. They've taken over the web server with the uh, WordPress plugin that I had to in- install briefly. Does
1: that not just replace our podcast with Brendan Ike just saying Brendan Ike over and over again?
0: <laughs> I hope not. Um, well, we'll have to see, won't we, what happens with it? Um, but yeah, if you use Brave and know what that is, then you can like give us money or something, I don't know. Uh, so Jesse, you've got a stupid question about searching in file managers.
2: Okay, if I'm on Windows... And I want to go through a number of levels of folder structure, then I can type in the first two or three letters and it will jump straight to that folder, enter, next level, you know, and in you go and you can get to the file you're looking for quite quickly just by typing it. But in GNOME, if you type, you know, the first three letters, it will search the folder and all subfolders for anything with those letters in. So if I want to go to P for photos, and I type P, suddenly all the files and folders disappear, and it starts crunching through, replace, you know, bringing up all the search results. And that's longer than just scrolling down and finding P. And I'm wondering if this is a thing in GNOME files, an option that I can change, or there's a different file manager that I can use to have my favorite fast way of searching through folder structures. Firstly, whether any of you guys have the same issue, or you know, whether it's... S- similar in kde or xfc or what have you. and secondly whether or not any of the listeners have any advice as to how to just make it jump to that uh folder or file how many folders and files do you have <laughs> i mean like it's just the quickest way of doing it even even if i'm on my home home position i'll just press you know d for documents and p for photos because i've deleted the public one and it's like it's just sort of a habit, and it just frustrates me that it does this annoying searchy bullshit.
0: I don't know. I just CD to stuff and just use the first few letters and tab. What can I say? I have no idea what you're talking about. This
1: confuses me. There is a ser- There's a very good search tool in KDE, right? I'm actively trying not to search. So, hang on, so you open your file browser, and you have icons of the files in front of you, and you're typing. Rather than clicking on the ones that are already where your mouse pointer is.
2: Yeah, consider a world that has more than like ten files, folders, or files, and they're in a you know in a list, as everyone should have the detailed view, which is the only view you should use in file managers.
1: Could you not create folders within
0: folders? Hmm. There's
2: still more folders failing. Like you have too
0: many files. Delete some. Problem solved. <laughs> Delete system thirty-two. Problem solved. Um, <laughs> I don't know, if anyone got what the fuck that was about, then get in touch with us. com slash contact. I think you just need to use Windows. That's the uh, solution there.
2: <laughs> Clearly superior. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Right. I want to thank
1: everybody in Canonical over Christmas and the start of January who worked on the patches and all the work from everybody in the kernel community, et cetera, and Intel and the like who essentially worked their arses off on the patches for the the vulnerabilities because um, I had a pretty flawless rollout. Um, yeah, I know they are rolling back the firmware as we speak. Yeah, I was going to say, thanks Intel for your really sweet microcode update. I did not apply the microcode because I feared that might happen and I didn't have any way to check if that was to work by applying it and then going, well, there's a coaster. So uh, I didn't apply it. So yeah. Um, Bar that. um, No, it was flawless. And that was also a bunch of OS upgrades as well. Um, So yeah, great work. And uh, big thanks to all the folks involved. So that was really cool. And um, also one of our listeners, uh, Jeffrey Bouter, who um, was doing the same thing in his double jobs that he does um, and it was kind of nice because he was in one of the chats with me there and he was doing a bunch of systems and I was too. It was kind of interesting to have somebody else who was doing almost the same systems. We were pinging stuff back and forth. So that was a that was a good crack because um, it's nice to be able to watch stuff because at the time there were so many patches changing and there was kernel updates coming left, right and center. And um, as Wimpy pointed out, yes, they did update the hardware extended support version. They just hadn't updated the documentation at the time of the last show. So... I humbly beg forgiveness. Yeah, I told you that was a communication error. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, thanks. It was excellent, excellent work.
0: Yeah, I've patched loads of systems and have all worked flawlessly. So yeah, thank you very much, everyone. Um, Okay, so this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they sell computers preloaded with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 16.04 and 17.10. And they're a company who really cares about Linux. I say this every time, all they do is Linux. It's not a side project for them, it's their business. And they've got all sorts of machines, fairly modest laptops, all the way up to real powerhouses with dedicated NVIDIA graphics that you can do all sorts with graphic design and 3D art and video editing, machine learning, that sort of thing. And they've also got a couple of desktops and a server, and almost everything's configurable. The... Uh, CPUs and the amounts of RAM and storage and everything. So you can really customize everything to exactly what you need. And they ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then do mention Late Night Linux at checkout. So they know that we sent you there. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Okay, so you two can take a back seat while we go back in time. To when I was with iKey, Outlook, whatever, here's an interview. We're now joined by Jonathan Nado, who is the project leader of Sonar GNU slash Linux. So welcome along, Jonathan. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. So the reason that I've asked you on is that you are blind and you are the most vocal advocate I know for accessibility in Linux and FOSS generally. So the the first question is what is the current state of it? I have no idea. I don't use any accessibility stuff. What's the current state of that in Linux?
3: I would have to say it's kind of uh, It hasn't gotten worse, which is good, but it hasn't necessarily gotten better. I would say I, you know per se, it's kind of, it's kind of hit that plateau maybe where things are pretty accessible. You know, there's not too many complaining about much. Well, I shouldn't say that, but. Um, you know, it, it's it's at a pretty good spot. It's definitely better than when I first came into the free software world and the accessibility. So I guess that's good.
0: And I mentioned Sonar, GNU, Linux, that you're very keen on the copyleft stuff, aren't you? But um, we'll forgive you for that. But um, so what, what exactly is that then? It's a distro that's based around accessibility stuff.
3: Yeah, it's focused on assistive technology. So my goal with Sonar was to try and meet the needs of as many kind of disabilities as I could or, you know, problems with people accessing computers. So it has a screen reader for uh, people that are blind, it has screen magnification for people with low vision. I include a uh, font for people with dyslexia so they can switch the font over to help them read the computer better by changing the font. There's also... Um, like, uh, software for people with low motor skills, like an on screen keyboard. So maybe you only have, you know, the use of, of one hand or maybe uh, the use of barely one hand or whatever. If you have issues using a regular keyboard, you can use the on screen keyboard. There's also head, uh, head tracking software that is used where you can, by plugging in a webcam, any common webcam, as long as the Linux kernel uh, loads the driver, you can control the cursor of the mouse by moving your head around. And it, it's known to even be able to track the cursor by just eye movement. And so a quadriplegic could control the computer just by movement over their eye or head. Uh, that's pretty much everything in it right now. Um, and then, you know, leading, uh, when you email me, you actually kind of pointed out a few projects I wasn't aware of. And so I had been wanting to get sort of voice recognition and sonar. And there were some other things I was looking at, uh, but I had not been able to implement them because uh, they weren't necessarily in a, a finished state. And I was trying to help with that getting done. But some of those projects have kind of fallen to the wayside, but it looks like Mozilla and a few other things have, have popped up. So there's a Good good news with that then i'll be I'll be checking those projects out yeah, I mentioned Project Common Voice to you, and to me
0: that is um, is kind of going to be the cornerstone of two things one accessibility, but I think what most people would think of is voice assistance, the likes of the Alexa um, thing from Amazon the echo and all that, and uh, the various ones from Google and apple uh, you are strongly into software freedom so presumably you don't have much interest in those even though they would potentially be quite useful to you
3: me personally too i i don't i I think that's a different generation maybe i'm not i'm not that old but the the voice recognition like controlling stuff that doesn't really appeal to me not only because i don't necessarily need it but i i guess um well i guess if i depended on it i would care about it but you know the these companies that have like the locked up Siri and you know the Google assistant and all that i mean it, it's amazing what they're able to do with this technology and it'd be even more amazing if you know they they kind of uh wanted to adv- take an adventure and see what like how they could help out people with this technology i mean when uh, Siri came out the the software that's controlling that is um oh, i can't remember the name of it now uh, it's slipping. The t- it's slipping. My na- uh, the name is slipping my mind. But they they basically have locked up the you know uh, the whole voice recognition thing, and it's very hard to build that kind of like library in order to get voice recognition to even work, or to you know to get like Google Assistant where it is or Alexa where it is. It's it takes a lot of work, a lot of time, and when uh, uh, this company kind of you know cornered the market. There's no competition. They didn't have to make it any better. And so, and then Apple came in and bought them. And, uh, you know, I, I'm assuming Apple really hasn't done too much with advancing the technology per se, cause it still kind of works. And, you know, eventually, you know, Google is, is probably kind of doing the same thing. I heard rumors of that's why Google did the whole, um, I don't know if you guys had that over, over there, but over here, they offered like a free, uh, information, like phone number lookup thing where you would call a number and you would use your voice saying hey i want the phone number to xyz and so google took all that data to build their sort of voice recognition just by offering that free service and so with mozilla coming in and uh, you know uh, and getting into this uh, playground that's really interesting because i'm assuming you know they're going to keep the data you know open and free for people to kind of do what they will with it so we could see some really interesting things come out of that
0: so we almost got talking before we hit record about um what ikey's been up to with accessibility and my understanding is that in the gnome stack it's quite good is that true
3: yeah the gtk uh you know libraries that are used are uh, you know especially with gtk3 then then the gnome desktop is pretty you know pretty accessible i I'd, I'd be hard to say that there was much that was inaccessible within the desktop itself now when you start diving into you know various separate programs that could be a whole nother story. But the desktop itself, you know, you can get to the top bar, you can click on things on the top bar, you know, all of the buttons are labeled properly and all that stuff. So, you know, out of all the desktops to choose from, uh, you know, Gnome is, is definitely the most accessible. But uh, Mate has taken a lot of strides lately. Uh, now, now that they're over on the GTK3 library, uh, the Mate desktop has come a long way, uh, you know, within the past few years also, though. And IKEA it's something you think about, quite a lot isn't it yeah i
4: mean there there is certainly a lot of um free accessibility support that you get with gtk um the the atk integration has been there for a very long time and you know a lot of the stock widgets are correctly named labeled they have the roles so something will be set as a as a menu or as a frame you know so that other bits of software like orker actually knows what that window or bar is trying to express to people and able to find it. The problem I'm going to have is I'm running away from GTK um, for various reasons and going with Qt, which does mean more work on the accessibility front. But then it's also arguable to say in the way that Budgie 10 was implemented it didn't benefit from all of that accessibility support anyway, especially when you start doing custom widgets. This is one of the areas where GTK fails very, very hard. So if you have a normal menu, like on the Mumble window or the Audacity window, that is correctly labeled as a menu bar with menus and submenus, and software can recognize that. And screen readers know the hierarchy involved. But once you start doing something like a custom widget that's a popover, like a rounded menu, you're out on your own. And at that point, GTK very much gets in your way of doing accessibility.
3: Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I mean, one one thing, too, like with the whole AT, the, the AT stack, um, from my understanding now, I, you know, I'm, I'm a developer. I use that term loosely, though, but I'm, you know, but... It, <laughs> Trying to wrap your head around that the accessibility stack in GTK, from what I've heard from a lot of people, it's it's almost this like black box. Yeah. This black box. <laughs> You're just like, I, I think I understand what's going on here, but not really. And I've seen other people ask on accessibility lists, "Hey, you know, I'm trying to make my app accessible." you know, they're, they're basically they're just like, what in the world? How do how do I even start? You know, they're like, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know how to make this thing accessible. And then people that reply back don't even really give a straight answer because I don't think they know themselves either. So it's this whole, like, you know, you kind of cross your fingers and hope it's going to work.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to say that, well, it's fair to say, but it's not a fair thing that the vast majority of applications and utilities out there in the graphical world are hindered by the fact that they are graphical and that term defines every part of the development. They are designed, you know, what you see is what you get. And I think these terms for developing applications are the ones that destroy any form of accessibility that was ever intended because we design literally what you see is what you get. Well, if you can't see them, then you don't get them. And I think for a lot of people, they're stuck to that paradigm and they don't know how to develop with accessibility in mind. So is there any experiences or basically anything you could share for folks like myself and other developers out there going to make the next great app? What should they keep in mind when developing for people that... Because you can't assume that any person using your system is going to be able to use it in the way that you believe they would use it, because you might be using labels that they can't see, or, you know, you might require a drag motion for someone with low motor skills. So how should people really be designing applications for everybody to use? What would you be able to share there?
3: Man, I, I guess, uh, you know, even even if you kind of put take off the table, like, okay, you know, in the forefront of mind you you know thinking i have to make sure this is accessible like take take that kind of thought off the table even if you just approach programming and developing the the way it's intended to be done you could probably you know your app could probably be accessible 50 60 70% accessible without you even having to consider anything right like instead of being like ah i don't feel like labeling that button i'm going to skip that you know or you know, ah, uh, I don't feel like doing that. Who, who cares? No one, no one cares about that. Everyone I know skips this part. I'm going to skip it too.
4: Toolbar buttons, right? Yeah, GTK-free yeah. apps.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, they
4: only needs an icon, why would they need a label too? They exactly. They only want to see the icon.
3: <laughs> exactly. And, and so just by doing those, like, nitpicky, you know, not nitpicky, but just by doing those things, you're like, ah, who cares? No one cares. Like, Take, you know, an extra 10, 15, 20 minutes every session you're, you're developing to, you know, put those labels in, to put the descriptions in, to put those little tiny things in. Like I said, by default, Nyra app is already 50, 60%, 70% accessible and you didn't have to go out of your way really to do anything.
4: Yeah, just not cut corners. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess brings up an interesting question. If you are this hypothetical budding developer who's creating this, Great app. Let's say, for an example, it's a time management application. How would you go about testing it in terms of accessibility?
3: Well, I mean, if you're running, you know, free software, you know, like a, you know, Gnome, Mate or whatever, you know, any kind of Linux desktop, I mean, install Orca, you know, you don't even have to necessarily Hmm. close your eyes, install Orca, turn it on and start messing around with it and be like oh can it access this window can i can it, is it reading that labeled button Am, you know can i get into the text box and type something in like you know again take 5 minutes 10 minutes just to see how how the screen reader reacts to it because you know kind of going back to the point you made you know where people build things graphically you'd actually be able to see how the screen reader is responding to your program mm because me as a blind so you have
4: the advantage right?
3: right because me as a blind person i might email you saying like hey you know i don't even know what i'm looking at i'm trying to do xyz and you might say well what happens and i'm and i might say i have no idea <laughs> i can't see, i can't see the screen right and so but yeah. if if you're testing it out you can see how it's reacting as it's running and you might be able to uh you know troubleshoot that much quicker than i could
0: so we've talked about Gnome quite a lot. How is the Plasma desktop in terms of accessibility? Terrible. Really? Because I think of Plasma, I think of innovation, I think of all of the great stuff that they've done there. It's not really to my taste, but I do respect what they've done, but why is it terrible?
3: Well, so I have never, you know, obviously I've never seen it. I've had people describe it to me. So so picture the Plasma desktop mm-hmm. with like floaty things around and buttons here and icons there close your eyes and imagine a screen reader trying to read any of that stuff.
4: I mean, even for people with Sight, that desktop personally, I find it a bit overwhelming. I would describe it as if JJ Abrams had directed a Linux desktop. (laughs) Lens flare everywhere. But I heard that since 5.10, I might be wrong in the exact version, um, because the problem they had is they used to use cute Widgets, which the corresponding in the GTK world would just be GTK itself. Gnome Shell has the pseudo widgets, which is the clutter toolkit, but they yeah. made an effort to make those accessible. Actually, technically Intel and OpenHand made that effort years ago during the mobiling days, but I digress. When when they went with QML in the Plasma world, they kind of lost all of that free support for accessibility. But with the Q Quick Widgets 2, I think it is. Uh, A lot of that accessibility stuff is now being added back, but yeah, basically it's non-existent in the majority of the desktop itself, i.e. the shell you need to interact with, which includes all the important stuff like
3: the menu to launch programs. Right, right. I mean, Qt has uh, a lot of promising qualities to it, but, you know, again, accessibility is kind of like the last thing to look at, but, I mean, they're kind of taking the right steps. With Qt4, In order to make anything, any Qt app, any Qt 4 apps accessible, you'd have to install an extra package called Qt at spy, which would let the, Mm -hmm. the, the at spy, you know, carry over into Qt. Well, they, they baked that Qt at spy into Qt 5. So now that accessibility sort of bridge is baked into Qt 5. So that's a good step not needing like an extra package to kind of bake accessibility into the framework. So, you know, that's a good step in the right direction, but it just seems like no one's either a, no, you know, no one's taking advantage of it. B, no one might even know how to do it and C people probably don't even realize it's there.
4: Yeah. And I think that's sort of the, that's the general feeling I've got. Like, People are vaguely aware of accessibility, but it's that also human thing of, well, it doesn't affect me, so I'm never going to give any of my mental time to this.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely.
4: Yeah, and as a developer, I, I mean, hell, I'm even guilty of it, right? But I don't think it's something that we can continue to be allowed to be guilty of going forward. It is something that we should all be thinking about. I mean... It's just got to be done. Like we we can't make assumptions about anyone's ability or inability. Every person is different. And to go on a little bit of a tangent, if we're talking about freedom of software, then surely it's the freedom of anybody to use it as well.
3: Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's the thing, too. I, I think if people see, you know, you're, you're this budding developer, you're looking through documentation or whatever, you're like, accessibility, what, you know, like, you know, like, I've heard that word before. What does that mean? And you might be like, you know, maybe there's some sort of notes like, Oh, if a blind person was using a program, like, I bet you nine out of 10 people like, blind person used my program. What? You know, like, (laughs) you're like, how does, like, I mean, I, you know, when I meet people to this day, and, you know, they, they, they see that I'm blind. They're like, and I tell them, oh, you know, I, I do work on a computer. I do this, I do that. And they're just like, how do you, how do you use a computer? Like, so, you know, even to this day, people are just like, that's amazing. A blind person can use a computer. And so, you know, it, it's, it's not unheard of. Like, there's a lot of people out there that are just baffled that people with disabilities can use technology and they don't realize that, you know, there are these uh, assistive technology out there to, to help people.
0: So I wanted to ask you about mobile. How are things there? Um, I don't suppose you have much interest in using iPhones and Google versions of uh, Android. But I mean, just generally, what what is the state of play on mobile?
3: I've I've never owned any Apple product. I've never touched any Apple product. Um, I do have an Android phone. I don't really use it that much. My, my phone only does certain tasks that I care about. I, I can't stand using uh, a phone. I can't stand using the touch type keyboard. Mm-hmm. I have kind of messed around just the voice, some of the voice recognition stuff just to see how well it works. Um, one thing I would say about Apple, I, I I've seen people do, you know, like reviews of like, oh, here's the new iPhone, whatever, and like, like accessibility reviews. And, Apple and Androids probably caught up, you know, pretty well, like with as far as accessibility across like the whole sort of system. But for quite a while, the Apple stuff was just like lights out, way more accessible, and not not because they were necessarily that was their goal, but because Apple was so stringent on their, you know, here's everything you need to do to get your app accepted into the, you know, the app market. I mean, 90% of apps, 95, 98% of apps, were totally accessible just because of Apple being so stringent. And so these guys weren't even trying to make an accessible app. They could have cared less. But because of what Apple is doing, all, you know, 98% of apps were accessible out of the gate.
0: And so you don't have much interest in sort of lineage and um, Google Free Android then?
3: I mean, you know, probably a few years ago I would have like my my time is so busy right now. I mean, I have five kids, I'm married, I have to, you know, I have to work and when my time frees up, I would I would definitely dig back into that. I mean, 3 or 4 years ago, I was looking into building trying to build um with uh, uh the Android open source project. I was looking at trying to build, you know, custom ROMs that were accessible out of the gate, kind of like a Sonar version of Android. Um but, you know, like life gets in the way, time, you know, I only have so much time. Um, you ho- Hopefully, in the future, I can get back to that where I can focus on building, you know, specifically uh, accessible ROMs for because I, I, I've poked through a lot of accessibility stuff in Android. And uh, I think there's a lot there that people don't even realize is there. And so if I if I brought the attention to that and these custom ROMs and let people know, look, you know, out of the gate, you know, look at what this phone can do with this ROM when you focus specifically on the accessibility stuff that's kind of built in, I I think that would be an an interesting uh, project.
0: It's funny that I've heard you use the term that you've seen things and stuff and it's like it's so baked into language isn't it this idea that everyone can see. Yeah um, yeah and so people just d- developers you know it's you can't really blame them can you for not thinking about accessibility stuff because it's just not something that most people would think about.
3: No, I mean I could see for fourteen years. I mean I got in a car accident; it was fourteen. And I lost my sight from that. So, I mean, when I could see, I can tell you, I never thought about blind people or, you know, any kind of disability. It didn't cross my mind either.
0: Yeah, so that's that's kind of why it was um, I can't remember, Aiki. What was it that we were talking about on the last show that reminded me about accessibility stuff?
4: It was something to something that was used in the Project Common Voice. Oh, the new IBIS input method thingy-bob. Um, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's, you know, you can do uh, speech recognition with it. Uh, in, as, I guess, like a dragon speech-esque type thing. Okay. Which we, we badly need something like that on Linux because it it sucks. And it sucks in both directions. <laughs> like, in terms of recognition and then text-to-speech as well. I mean, that's really bad. we got really bad voices and really bad even grammar from some of these tools so yeah seeing any of them improve would be fantastic and so what about
0: mycroft i mean i know you said jonathan that you you kind of not of the generation and i fully agree with you i have no interest in talking to a computer really but mycroft was the great hope for the open source version of it but that hasn't really delivered is that something that you were aware of
3: yeah, again, like I said, you brought you brought that to my attention. And like I was saying earlier, it, it's a tough nut to crack. I mean, it's a lot of data. It's a lot of work. And that's why you get programs like Dragon where they quarter the market and it's good enough and it could be a lot better, but they're not going to make it a lot better because they're not, they're not going to get competition anytime soon. And so it works, it's good enough, and we're not going to put any more effort into it until more competition creeps up.
0: Yeah, well, Mozilla seems to be the great hope. They've got a lot of money sloshing around, and this Project Common Voice thing, I donated my voice to it, and I would urge everyone else to... I think they're still looking for people to give their voice because these kind of things need as much data as possible, don't they?
3: Yeah, I I, I visited the site and checked it out. I mean... You know, you could take five or ten minutes and, and, you know, the the project can benefit from you, you know, giving them five or ten minutes. It was like a sentence was on the screen and you could push the play button and basically they're saying, tell us if this was correct. Like, did the voice say this sentence that you're reading and you just say yes or no. And so, yeah. but by that, you're you're teaching and you're, you're helping out the machine learning with the, uh, you know, with the voice.
4: Now, these days, like the the algorithm is nowhere near as important as the data anymore because you go back a few years you know you needed the best algorithms because we just didn't have the compute power we didn't have the data but nowadays it's completely inverse you look at any one of these machine learning projects it's all about the data which again is all about the people behind them
3: yeah yeah exactly and again that's that's why once they these you know proprietary companies corner the market they're just like we don't have to make it better you know it it works well enough people are still buying it i mean until someone else comes along and Puts out a you know Dragon two then we're not we're not going to do anything.
4: I think that's the nice thing about open source in the main that there is no ticking of boxes for shareholders for truly open projects.
3: Right, yeah, yeah, it's all you know a common uh, you know a common goal you know to see the advancement of this uh, of this software you know, and and you know again at the end of the day other you know other projects benefit from this work because who knows you know one. One piece of software can utilize the data for one thing, another piece of software can utilize you know, the, the data for another. So like, you know, that's the great thing about it. You know, we have this, all, this one pool to, to pull from, and you, you could see 10 different projects come out of one data set.
4: Something you've said a couple of times there, and just, just occurred to me, but this is kind of a... Show him why competition is a good thing really isn't it like even in the open source world is beneficial without the competition you know nothing needs to grow
3: yeah yeah i mean you know there's been the argument oh why do we need another video editor we have to- <laughs> <laughs> fragmentation <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, you know it's i mean there's this Put, you know, points to both sides. It's like, you know, what would happen if instead of 20 video errors, there was two, you know, and everyone would kind of worked together. But at the same time, it's like, well, we, you know, we wouldn't have this video that's better than the rest of these because, you know, again, there's, there, there's no competition. So it's kind of, you know, both sides of that coin. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it could be frustrating, but then at the same time, you know, you see uh, better, newer projects come out of uh, competition.
4: Hmm. Well, thank you for validating my job.
0: <laughs> yeah, and thank you for giving us your time. We'd better kind of wrap it up, but um, presumably you've got things that you can plug.
3: Yeah, if you want to check out uh, sonargnulinux I mean that's my uh, you know the distro Sonar that I'm working on.
0: But you also do podcasts as well, don't you?
3: Yeah, I have. A, I run three podcasts. One of them is extremely. Um, up to date. The other two I try to put out as, as often as I can, but if you go to natomedia.com, so it's N-A-D-E-A-U media.com, I have a podcast uh, called The Crowdfunding Cast. So I interview people running various crowdfunding campaigns, whether it's on Kickstarter, Indiegogo, with various projects ranging from, you know, technology, music, film, uh, you know, usually pretty interesting projects. So, you can check that out. And then I also do a, uh, a gaming podcast. I, I cover video games and tabletop games called Pixels and Pirates. And then the, mm-hmm. other, the other podcast I do is called Backstage, where I interview uh, indie musicians, uh, you know, indie bands. So you can check those out all, uh, all at natomedia.com. Yeah, well,
0: I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So, yeah, thanks again for coming along and hopefully speak to you again at some point.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I love it. It was a blast. And uh, everyone, have a great week. JJ Abrams lens flare, you bastards.
1: Honestly. Fucking never use KDE. Clearly the lot is. But it was a very good interview nonetheless.
2: (laughs) It it was a great interview. I think think, uh, KDE should update their tagline to say, if JJ Abrams made a desktop, it would be KDE. Fuck
1: Fuck off. Fuck off. Fuck off. Maybe five years ago, if not more, but it's not like that anymore. And they do care about accessibility. There shall be a link in the show notes to prove it. Yeah, because you
0: would definitely know better than Jonathan about that. Well, not if he thinks it's fucking lens flares, (laughs) etc. Well, it did sound like it had been a while since he he checked it out. Yeah,
1: no, and that's fine. And, And I think Katie would hand on heart say that, yes, it hasn't always been a priority. And yeah, no, I think he makes a good point in the fact that trying your software out with Orca even if you're just looking straight at it and seeing how it works. I mean, I, that is a really sort of hairy sort of thing to try because I, I don't even know how bloody you could do that. Like, it just it seems such an alien thing to do. Um, it's an amazing skill to be able to actually use the I don't know how he does it, so yeah, I should try it more.
2: Yeah, it was, it was a pity that it seemed that the progress had plateaued, and I wondered if it's because at first when I was into the interview, I thought maybe it's because uh, it, it's good enough. And therefore it doesn't need to get any better. But it turned out sort of later on, you know, you tease a little bit more and it seems that it's maybe a lack of competition or people are, you know, let's like say it's not got the resources to go into it. Um but I had a quick look at that uh dragon's speech recognition that was mentioned. And it looks like it requires wine. It's not even a, a native install, which you know just shows you how important it is that we get this uh Mozilla um speech recognition and things that all gets integrated properly into Linux as a, as a first class citizen. It'll be ideal for people who require that for accessibility.
0: Well, if they don't spend all their money on the lawsuit, hopefully they can spend a bit more on that and uh, improve accessibility. Uh, so, with that, we'll do it for this week. Then we'll be back in a couple of weeks, hopefully with iKey and hopefully with a full house and maybe with another interview if that all goes well. But uh, let's not tease that too much. So, in the meantime, then I have been Joe. I've been Jesse. And I've been Philom. See you later!